Hello, Full Life. Uh, it's good to see you all again this week. I've had a very, very busy week, uh, but I'm so glad to be here uh, worshipping together with you all. Um, just two things I wanted to share before we jump into today's Bible reading. Uh, one is to re-emphasize the opportunity to serve at these youth retreats. Um, I think a problem that we've had with FLM is that we don't have enough volunteers to serve at FLM. And it's a good and a bad problem. Bad because we need more volunteers. Good because a lot of the reasons uh, that we have a shortage of volunteers is because people are already serving. Um, and I think that's an awesome problem to have. Um, so if you do have a heart for the youth, jump on this opportunity. Uh, if, you, you know, if you're not, not willing to commit for a whole year, two nights, three days to be able to serve a generation of youth that's eventually going to be wor worshipping alongside you guys. Um, and it is such a blessing to be able to play a role in young people's lives uh, that are walking or trying to walk with the Lord Jesus to have have a have a role in their journey. Uh, so if you are interested, you can flick through the announcements on social media. Um, sign up if you have a heart for that. Um, one other thing, uh, I had an elder approach me before the service. Um, they're actually looking for an English speaker that can help out. Um, I think they're, they're planning on building, like turning some of the buildings into a childcare center and to kind of renovate and rebuild some of our facilities. Um, but we live in Australia, uh, so they do need someone that can speak English that does have the time that they can set aside uh, to help them kind of liaise with um, builders and people that can help uh, renovate some of our buildings. So if you do feel like you do have the capacity to help out, uh, please let me know, and I'll link you up with the elder. All right, today's um, gospel comes, or today's Bible reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, continuing our series in chapter 10. Uh, and I want to apologize to the service team. Uh, I sent them the passage and the sermon title at 3, 3, 3 a.m. this morning. Uh, I wrote and rewrote my sermon the early hours of this morning because I wasn't happy with it, but we got there in the end. Uh, so Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 46 to 52. Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. I'll be reading from the ESV version. The word of God reads, And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want for me to do to you? Do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we've seen countless 
healing accounts uh, as we've traveled through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, But Lord, we pray today as we examine uh, this passage in chapter 10, that you would allow us to discern what's, what's so unique about this passage. Lord, we know that your word is a living word. We know that it is the primary means by which you speak to your people. And so, Lord, we ask that this time not be wasted, that it would be a time where we hear your voice, that our hearts would be hungry to be fed by your word. Help us to have an encounter with you through your word. Give me power to speak with clarity and with humility, Lord. May you watch over the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think so far in Mark's gospel, I know I said this a few times, I think this is my favorite passage so far until we come to another passage. But I like this passage. Um, And I'll unpackage why in a moment. But last week, we examined the conversation that Jesus had with the sons of thunder, James and John. Uh, In their ignorant ambition, they tried to trap Jesus into fulfilling a request that they wanted. If you remember, uh, they tried to get Jesus to commit to a yes answer before they asked the request. They said to him, Jesus, Say yes to this. We're going to ask you to do something for us, but just tell us that you're going to do it for us before we ask it. Uh, And we saw that their request was to be made second and third in charge. The the sons of thunder, James and John, they wanted to be the right and left hand of Jesus when his physical empire would be established. Uh, And as I mentioned multiple times, they were hoping that this kingdom of God that Jesus had been talking about would be a physical empire, kind of like the Greeks under Alexander, you know, Rome under Caesar, the Persians under Xerxes. They were expecting something like that, like a magnificent, phenomenal physical empire. They saw Jesus as a political and a warrior messiah rather than a spiritual one. They were hoping that Jesus came to conquer instead of knowing that Jesus actually came to suffer and die. But Jesus corrected their theology by explaining to them that in order to be first of all, says to them, you know, I know you want to be the second and third in charge, you know, the the prime minister and deputy prime minister of this coming kingdom. But in my kingdom, if you want to be first of all, you have to be last of all and servant of all. Says to them, you want to be a leader? You want to be second in charge? Then you have to be the bottom. Be a servant to God and be a servant to your neighbor. Now, in today's passage, the journey of Jesus continues towards Jerusalem and they make one last pit stop in the city of Jericho. And mind you, you know, when we hear Jericho, we think of Old Testament Jericho where they marched around blowing the trumpets. Uh, This isn't the same city as the city of Jericho in the Old Testament. It wasn't far from that Jericho, uh, but this is a new Jericho. It's a city with the same name. It was about 24, 25 kilometers northeast of Jerusalem. And it was actually considered you know, a wealthy city. Think of like the north shore of Sydney. Uh, it was filled with people from a higher income demographic. Uh, and at this time, this city would have been busy. It would have been thriving. Like imagine going to town hall 
uh, during a workday. It would have been busy, thriving, and particularly because there was a festival that was fast approaching, the Passover festival. Um, and because the Passover festival was approaching, pilgrims from all over the land would travel towards Jerusalem. And kind of like the trajectory that Jesus took. Remember I said a few weeks ago that there was, you know, if you were from Galilee and you were traveling down south to Jerusalem, the shortest distance between any two points is meant to be a straight line. But the Jews hated the Samaritans. And so they would deliberately avoid and take a longer route to avoid Samaria. They would go through the region of Perea, and then ultimately they'd have to go through the city that Jesus arrives at, which is Jericho. So this city would have had a bunch of pilgrims, not just the people living there, not just the locals and the business owners, but pilgrims uh, that were headed towards Jerusalem. And then to make things even more busier, the Levitical priests that served at the temple in Jerusalem, they had a rotating roster, and Jericho was the place that they would stay at to rest and wait for their turn to serve at the temple. And so it was a busy city, especially this time of year. And given that it was a wealthy city with lots of traveling pilgrims, it became the ideal place for a lot of beggars to come and ask people for money. Because we're better to ask people for money than people who are on their way to worship and serve God. You're kind of like tugging at their heartstrings, you know, kind of guilt-tripping them. Oh, you're here to worship God? You know, what, what better way to worship God than giving me money so I have food to eat? And it's here that we're introduced to Bartimaeus. Um, verse 46 says that they came to Jericho, and as he, Jesus, was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting on the roadside. Now, Bartimaeus, that name Bartimaeus is actually a combination of Aramaic and Greek words. Bar in Aramaic literally means son. So if you see in the New Testament, Bar Jonah, it means the son of Jonah. Um, and Timaeus was just a common Greek name. So Bar Timaeus literally means the son of Timaeus. I don't know why Mark repeated it twice. Maybe some of his readers weren't actually Jews uh, that would have understood Aramaic. But Bartimaeus was a blind beggar. He sat outside Jericho on the road leading to Jerusalem. And that was probably his go-to spot where he hung out every day, just sitting outside Jericho. Um, and because he was there every day as a blind beggar, you know, I, once you lose your sight, there's that saying that you, your other senses become heightened. Um, I don't know if that's true. Makes sense if it is true. But I'm sure his sense of hearing and his sense of smell would have been heightened. And so the sounds that he heard in the city of Jericho, he would have become quite accustomed to that. But today, in this passage, he would have sensed that something was different. Maybe there was a greater noise, a greater commotion. He would have heard people murmuring words of excitement. He sensed something was different. And so you can almost imagine him like blind but sensing something's different today, he would have reached out as a blind man and just reached out, maybe felt the cloak of a passerby, tugged at it and said, what's going on? What's going on? And they would have told him, Jesus of Nazareth is in town. Verse 47 then tells us that when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, 
have mercy on me. Now, I'm going to stop here for a moment because I find something very fascinating about this verse. Because people passing by told Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, that all this commotion, this, you know, you feeling like something's different today. It is different because Jesus of Nazareth is here. Jesus of Nazareth has come to our town and he's on his way to Jerusalem. But what's interesting is that Bartimaeus, when he calls out to Jesus, doesn't call out to Jesus of Nazareth. He cries out to Jesus, the son of David. And this is, you know, we gloss over this, but it's significant because the son of David was a title from the Old Testament, particularly 2 Samuel, where God gives a promise to King David. He says that after you die, your lineage, there is going to be an eternal king that's going to come. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God promises to King David, I'll read it out. It says, when your days are fulfilled and you, and you lie down with your fathers, so when you die, I will raise up from your offspring after you who shall come from your body or your family line and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So whoever this Messiah is, he's a descendant or a son of David. And it's crazy that of all people that we've studied about in the Gospel of Mark so far, that of, out of everyone, including the apostles, that the blind beggar, the guy that's been blind for decades, out of all people, has the most accurate understanding of who Jesus is. You know, the people of Jericho, that was crowding around him, so excited, they said he's Jesus of Nazareth. You know, this is Jesus, the guy from, you know, it's like Jay from Blacktown, you know, uh, Nathan from Westride, like, it's Jesus from Nazareth. That, that's who it is. Even his chosen 10, or 12 rather, apostles, they understood him to be Jesus, the warrior king, the political messiah that's going to make me second and third in charge of the empire. The people of Galilee, where he did most of his ministry, they thought he was Jesus, the great preacher, amazing preacher, the great exorcist, the miracle healer. And yet for this man, he has the most accurate theology in Mark's gospel so far, other than John the Baptist. He calls out to Jesus as the son of David. And almost in contrast to James and John, from last week's passage, who wanted to be second and third in charge. He cries out to the son of David and says, give me mercy. Why? What kind of mercy did he need? Well, in those days, affliction and illness, like medical illnesses, were traditionally thought to be a sign of God's judgment. Like if you had leprosy, like God it was believed that God was bringing death to your body because the wages of sin is death and leprosy was like the disease that made you feel death was so close because your flesh is rotting away. Blindness was no different. People back then thought that blindness, this physical disability of blindness was a reflection of where you were spiritually. You're physically blind because you're spiritually blind. And so... People thought, you know, if he was afflicted by blindness, it's because he's done something wrong. 
He's a sinful man that's hated by God or despised by God. That's why he's blind. That's why he's begging on the side of the road. And that's why in verse 48, when he cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me, the crowds rebuke him. They tell him to be silent, which is a nice way of telling him to shut up. You can almost picture their disdain towards Bartimaeus as he cries out to Jesus, the son of David. It's like you can picture people saying to him, who do you think you are? You shut your mouth and know your place, blind beggar. Jesus doesn't have the time of day for people like you that are living in spiritual darkness. This is a great rabbi, a great healer. But Bartimaeus doesn't care. The same verse tells us that he cried out even louder. Cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And then Jesus stops. He knows what's going on. He knows how the crowds have disdain for this blind beggar as they try to shut him up. And so what does he do? Does he walk up to Bartimaeus or tell Bartimaeus, come here Bartimaeus. He doesn't do that. He stops and he turns to the crowd and he tells the same people that told Bartimaeus to shut up, you go to him and bring him to me. What a power move. And so they tell him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. Now, some people read this and think, that their understanding of the sick and afflicted had changed. Like as if they, when Jesus like commanded this to them, that they were like, oh, we're not meant to treat sick people like animals. Oh, now I know. Sorry, I better change my ways. Some people read it like that. Uh, but I don't think that's what's happening here. I think if anything, the crowd probably sighed and rolled their eyes and thought, come on, like this guy, really? Why? Why would I think that? Because if I were, like, if the reason I think that is if you saw a blind man or a crippled man on the front, at the bottom of the steps of FLM, and I were to say to you guys, can, can you bring that guy in? What would you do? Like, what would be the normal thing to do? Would you be like, from here, be like, hey, come in. I know you've got no legs, but, you know, ho hobble in here. Or a blind man, like, I know you can't see, but, you know, just feel your way up the road. There's railings there. You can make your own way in here. What would be the normal thing to do if Jesus said, bring that blind man here? You'd go up to him, take him by the hand, maybe lift him to his feet and put it, let him put his hand on your shoulders and carry him in. Right? I hope that's how you treat a blind person if you come. Like, that's, that's the normal thing to do. But the crowds and the pilgrims, the locals, they don't do that. Or at least Mark doesn't record those details. All Mark records is that they tell him, get up, he's calling you. They don't even tell him which direction he's in. Just get up, he's somewhere in that vicinity. You go to him. Despite all the people that are on their way to worship God in Jerusalem for the Passover, the only one that has his heart in the right place appears to be Bartimaeus because the moment 
he realizes he has an opportunity to have an audience with Jesus. He throws aside probably the only thing that he owns, the only thing that he has his name to, his cloak. And he jumps up and he runs to Jesus. And being blind, he probably stumbled and tripped along the way. But he eventually gets to Jesus. And when he arrives at the feet of Jesus, Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man says, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And again, Mark records specific details. Let me recover or regain my sight, which is a hint that this man's blindness wasn't congenital. You don't regain something unless you've lost it. Um, so he probably was born with 20-20 vision, and at some point he lost his sight. And Mark includes this detail to show that the stigma that this man faced because of his blindness would have been so much worse than had he been born blind. And the reason for that is because if you're born blind as a baby, remember how I said that people back then thought blindness was the result of sin? If you were born blind, people would assume, oh, it's your parents that sinned. You're born blind. But then if you were born with normal vision and then lost your sight, people wouldn't have attributed it to someone else. They would have thought, you've done something wrong. You've displeased God. The stigma for him would have been even greater because he was born with sight and then lost it. Jesus responds to his request by saying, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And then the passage concludes by saying immediately. And again, notice that word immediately. Not after one week, not after five weeks, not after years of seeing an ophthalmologist, but immediately, in an instant, he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. And that's how today's passage ends. Now, I entitled this sermon, Lessons from a Blind Man. I think that's the title I gave to the service team at 3 a.m. this morning. Uh, and the reason I entitled it that was because there's a lot of lessons that we can draw from today's passage, and particularly from Bartimaeus. And the first point I want to establish, and sometimes it's something we need to be reminded of, is that Jesus welcomes those who seek mercy. And as I shared earlier at the beginning, this is probably one of my favorite passages in Mark's gospel so far. And I love this passage because of the identity that society created for Bartimaeus. They didn't see Bartimaeus as a holy man. Bartimaeus wasn't well-loved or liked. Society labeled him as spiritual scum, sitting on a spiritual dunghill outside Jericho every day, begging for money, blind because of his spiritual depravity. The only real interaction that he had with people probably was just donations that he received from passers-by who didn't really care about Bartimaeus. People that donated, they didn't, they didn't care for him. They gave to this man because they thought, oh, if I give to the needy, I'll receive even more blessing from God. Some people might say, though, that that's a bit harsh. You don't know what, their heart, what was in their heart as they gave to Bartimaeus. But I think today's passage gives us a hint about how everyone felt about Bartimaeus. Particularly when Jesus tells the same crowd that told him to shut up to bring Bartimaeus to him. No one even as much as touches him or grabs him by the hand to help him to his feet. 
They just, hey, he wants you. That's it. They tell a disabled man who can't see to get up and make his own way to Christ. No one cares about Bartimaeus, but we find Christ cares. Remember where Jesus is going in today's passage. He's going to Jerusalem. Why is he going to Jerusalem? Well, he said it three times in the last few chapters. He's going there to be arrested, to be mocked, spat on, his clothes stripped off, his beard ripped out of his face, to be whipped, tortured, and to die an excruciatingly painful death. Like if anyone would have been racked with anxiety at this point, you'd think it would be Jesus. Anyone that's like, I don't have the time of day for anyone right now because I've got a lot that I'm stressed about. You'd think it would be Christ. And yet, despite the emotional burden that he would have been under, Jesus stops and he makes time for Bartimaeus because he knows the heart of Bartimaeus. Today's passage is more than just a healing miracle where Jesus cures a blind man. Because for Bartimaeus, he grew up thinking, I'm not just physically blind, but society is telling me that I am spiritually depraved, that my blind affliction is because there's something wrong with me internally and spiritually. That it's because of my sinfulness that God has given me this lot in life to live as a blind man. And it's in the midst of this kind of mindset that Bartimaeus cries out, Son of David. And the first thing he asks of Jesus isn't healing, but he asks for mercy. Son of David, have mercy on me. And he uses that title, the Son of David, the title that God gave to King David in the Old Testament, the title that represented the promise of the coming Messiah, the Savior of Israel and of the world, he cries out, Savior, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus doesn't just want his blindness healed. He wants mercy. For the sins he thinks has caused his disability. And I don't know what kind of walk of life you come from. I'm still getting to know everyone. I don't know what kind of spiritual state you've been in this past week or even this morning when you decided to come to church today. But I believe God's word when it describes our God as being a sovereign God in all things. And if you believe in a sovereign God, you know that there's no coincidences in God's kingdom. No coincidences that you're sitting here today. No coincidences that we're studying this passage today. And so if you are in a place where you've hit spiritual rock bottom, be reminded through today's passage that we don't serve a vengeful God that's ready to strike you down when you confess that you're at spiritual rock bottom. But if you approach the son of David, in your spiritual despair. Remember that that brokenness is a gift from the Holy Spirit. 
A few weeks ago, we saw that brokenness over sin, just as much as it should cause despair, should also be cause for rejoicing. Because brokenness over sin is a gift from the Holy Spirit to begin the healing process of salvation. Today's passage reveals that if you are in spiritual despair and brokenness, that if you come to Christ for mercy, you're not going to be greeted by the face of vengeance, but by a face of mercy. You know, I was sharing with the discipleship team yesterday uh, that, you know, some people think that having faith having strong faith is going out and doing crazy things for God. Uh, and it is great to do crazy things for God. I encourage you all to do crazy things for God. That is a byproduct of saving faith, but that in itself isn't faith. And I think we need to be reminded of that. Faith, true faith, is realizing that we have no hope in and of ourselves to redeem ourselves. Faith is realizing that the only hope, the only chance at mercy is to come to him and ask for mercy. And not just coming to Christ and asking for mercy, but coming to Christ expecting to receive mercy. We serve a merciful God. Point number two. The only right response to mercy is to follow. You know, uh, many years ago, I, I used to read Mark's gospel, and I loved, if I had to pick a gospel, I loved reading Mark's gospel because it's the shortest of <laughs> 16 chapters compared to like 28 in Matthew. Um, and I used to think that because it's shorter, it must be like the express, express version Read through it quickly. You want to just get through a gospel? Mark's got 16 chapters. Can't go wrong. Uh, if you read a chapter, about four minutes, less than an hour, you've read through a book of the Bible. Uh, and I thought because it's shorter, must be less details. Um, but as I studied Mark over the years, I realized that Mark, there's many nuances and details that Mark includes in his gospel when recording the details of the ministry of Jesus, particularly in the last verse of today's passage. Very important. Verse 52, Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Bartimaeus asked for mercy. Jesus gave him mercy. Bartimaeus asked for healing. Jesus gave him healing. Jesus says, Go on your way, your faith has made you well. But Bartimaeus does not go on his way. Because for the first time in who knows how long, his fate, oh, his sight rather, has been fully restored. He can see light, he can see colors, he can see the details of the trees around him. For the first time, he's not living in physical darkness. This guy can go anywhere he wants. In fact, Jesus says, go wherever you want, go on your way. But as his faith is restored, his sight is restored. Despite being told to go on his way, Bartimaeus realizes that there is only one way to go that makes any logical sense, and that is to follow Jesus. And the passage concludes by showing that after having recovered his sight, he followed Jesus on the way. Jesus says, go on your way. He says, this is my way now, following Christ. And sometimes when we encounter Christ, we go 
through that transformation as the great hymn Amazing Grace says, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved the rich like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. We experience spiritual healing. We receive spiritual sight. But then we tend to do the opposite of what Bartimaeus did. Where instead of looking to Christ, receiving spiritual sight and saying, you know what, the only thing that makes sense is to follow this guy that's restored my sight. We choose instead to pitch our tent and stay. We're kind of, let's enjoy what we can see here. Let's enjoy and go on our way. However, going back to last week's passage, we saw that the purpose of grace wasn't just to receive it and then the end. But the grace we receive from the servant king is given to transform us to look like the servant king in our service, our service of God and our service of neighbor, our neighbor. But so often we're willing to receive mercy but not follow him on the way, usually because we think it'll cramp our lifestyle. And the problem with that is if we place a limitation like that on the power of God's saving grace, then at best, your hearts might be stirred, you might be challenged, but you'll never be transformed. You'll learn and study about God's word and God's power, but you'll never experience this saving power. You will live like a resident of God's kingdom, but not as a citizen of God's kingdom. The only right response to mercy and grace is to follow him. Final point. This is what kept me up last night because I wasn't sure whether to put this in my sermon or not. But it's here. What can we do? Final point. Theology matters. Theology matters. 100%. I know some people say, theology doesn't matter. I just want to feel, follow Jesus. I'm telling you as your pastor and as a Christian that's been walking with God for the last 16 years, theology 100% matters. You know, in all my time as a Christian, I've met so many people that have said to me, Jay, you know, I, I love God, but I'm, I'm not really about the Bible. I love worship. I'm not really about the Bible and studying and reading. I'm not, I'm not a book guy. Theology, it's too complex for me. It doesn't really interest me. I just want to worship God and love him. And that's all that, that I'm really interested in. That's all that really matters, right? And I, I get where they're coming from. Uh, but the longer I walk with God, the longer I've been in pastoral ministry, I've come to realize more and more that theology 100% matters because a study of God's word is the only way to expand your understanding of who Jesus is. It expands. It's the only way to expand your understanding of the gospel. Expand your understanding of the richness of God's word. It's the only way that God becomes more tangible. Because if you set theology aside and you think, I can just do this journey with Jesus apart from theology, the only thing you're going to have is God is good and then that's it. God is good, but you can't complete this journey with just God is good. Theology helps you realize who it is that you're actually clinging to. Theology helps you deepen your bond and your relationship with Jesus. And the Bible tells us that Scripture 
is the primary means by which he reveals himself. John chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. You want to know Jesus? Know the word. That's what scripture says. And after I got saved at 21, uh, I made it my mission to do a lot of things. But three things, main things, that I initially set out to do. I wanted to be a praying man. I wanted to pray. That was first. And so Pastor Alvin and I would make it a mission to pray regularly together. We also made it a mission that we will pray or pray and then read God's word cover to cover. And I did that by going to all the Korean services. Uh, I wanted to be in the presence of other worshippers, so I'd go to the Korean services, couldn't speak a word of Korean, and so all I did during the service was read the Bible. That's how I ended up reading the Bible the first time cover to cover, reading at service, not listening to the preacher or, or singing during worship. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. The other thing I did was I listened to as many sermons as I could. I would go to work each day, and back then I had a mindless data entry job where I didn't need to think, just copy something from a piece of paper onto a system. And so I would go in the morning, I'd go on sermonindex.net, and I would just download the first eight sermons that I saw, and I would spend the eight hours while I'm working listening to eight sermons a day, and I did that for the first three years after I got saved, Monday, for, Monday through to Friday, listening to eight sermons a day for three years. And I would have a notepad and a pen next to me after I listened to each sermon, and I would write down everything I learned about God through the passage from that sermon. And as I listened and I listened, I realized something. I realized that not all sermons were sermons. Some sermons, I, I was able to fill an entire page of just rich truths I learned the preacher share through God's word. Preachers that unpackaged a deep understanding of the text and it just really stirred my heart for God as I heard that sermon preached and as I wrote it down, I was like, man, I can't wait to pray about this when I go to Maru this Friday with Alvin. I could write pages about what I'd learned about Christ and the gospel. And these truths shaped the way, even the way I'd sing the same songs that I used to sing as we drive to Maru. But there were a lot of other sermons. And I'm not going to mince my words. These sermons were rubbish. Where I heard preachers preach garbage for an hour. I went on our YouTube channel and I listened to an old series by Pastor Eddie about Nehemiah. Great series. Have a listen when you get a chance. I'm so... Glad that we saved Eddie's sermons on our YouTube channel. Fantastic series on Nehemiah. But as I listened to the series on Nehemiah, it reminded me of a sermon I listened to many years ago. Another preacher I listened to that preached the garbage sermon about Nehemiah. Because if you read through Nehemiah, Nehemiah is about God creating a way for his people to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And I remember I listened to this sermon after he did the Bible reading, I was like waiting, waiting, waiting for him to get to the text. He never came back to the text. In fact, 
as I was listening to the audio, I was like, I was actually wondering, where is this guy's Bible? And his entire sermon became about how to set New Year's resolutions and to keep them so that this new year you can be a healthier new you. The end. Now, don't get me wrong, this guy spoke very well. Very eloquent, very charismatic, charming with his words. But as the sermon came to an end, I realized that this guy's sermon was nothing more than just a self-help talk. This guy trusted in his ability to speak rather than the transforming power of God's word to sanctify the listeners. I listened to a few more sermons from this guy, thinking maybe it was just a one-off. And I... I just became more and more frustrated because they were all like this. And I became more frustrated partly because I wasted that hour listening to a garbage sermon. Partly because the whole time I'm like, give me Christ. Let me know more about God through this passage. Give me God's word. Instead of trying to package a self-help talk and labeling it as the gospel, and so I know for a lot of churchgoers, people have, you know, I'm sure you guys don't revere me, but, you know, traditionally people revere pastors, don't revere me. You can if you want. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, don't, don't revere me. But I know a lot of people, tra- traditionally, people revere pastors like, oh, like he's some kind of special guy. And yes, he does have an anointing from God, a specific type of anointing. But any person that steps into the pulpit, Myself, Pastor Ray, or anyone else, I want to be 100% clear to full life. Like, I'm, I'm here for a long time. Don't, don't worry. But if I ever do leave, I want you to remember that anyone that steps into this pulpit, irrespective of what kind of anointing we have, we are bound by the boundaries of God's word. Our job and responsibility and our duty as a preacher is to reveal the truth that comes from God's word. Within the boundaries of God's word, anecdotes are fine, stories are fine, illustrations are fine, but these all have a purpose to drive home and explain and give clarity to the truth of God's word. And the reason I decided to include this In my sermon, is because it's important that we understand this. We don't have some kind of special authority. If we speak for God, we speak for God through His Word. And for that preacher that preached from Nehemiah and other preachers like that, at the end of the day, It's what we call eisegetical preaching. There's exegetical and eisegetical preaching. For those that went to men's conference, you'll remember I spoke about this. Exegetical preaching is where you open God's word and you draw out God's truth, allow God to speak his words in his context. Eisegetical preaching is where you, the preacher wants to say something, they find a passage that remotely links to it and they push their ideas into the text and they make the words of scripture match what it is that they want to say. 
And my problem with eisegetical preaching is what that actually does. It is the preacher putting his hand over the mouth of God as if to say, I have something better to share than allowing God's word to speak for itself. And part of the reason I started the discipleship stream wasn't just to to help you guys grow in your knowledge of God's word, but to be able to discern for yourselves. To hear a sermon and not just have to give it to Pastor Jay and say, is this right? But to be able to discern for yourselves, is this right? So that you can discern my sermons as well. If I say something wrong from this pulpit, you have to hold me accountable as well. Be gentle with me, but <laughs> but hold me accountable. So those are the three points I want to conclude with today. The first point, Jesus welcomes those who come to him for mercy. The second point, the only right response to mercy is to follow Third and final point, your theology matters. It's the only way you'll deepen your relationship with God. Look at Bartimaeus. Everyone that we saw in Mark's gospel, this guy had great theology. He understood who Jesus was, that he was the son of David, the one that the father had promised from the Old Testament would be the eternal king of the eternal kingdom. He understood that this was the guy out of anyone, if you're going to come for mercy, that this is the guy. He didn't go to anyone else. He didn't bank his hope on anyone else. He sat outside the walls of Jericho all those days knowing that there's nothing else until Christ appears. Theology 100% matters. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the richness of your word, that it's more than just a historical account historical documents but it is your living word that speaks to us today so lord i pray for myself and for the people of flm that we become a people that are able to discern the truth of your word in its context that every time we open this book that we have a rich understanding that it is the living god that is speaking to us that you are not a silent god but you are a relational god that desires to speak to us and that the scriptures, the holy scriptures, are the primary means by which we hear from you. And so, Lord, I pray that for FLM, that we would be a people that hold your word richly in our hearts, that our hearts would be saturated by the words of scripture, so that in any season of life, that we are always 100% equipped with the wisdom of your word, with the power of your word, and to be able to enjoy the life that comes through your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.